Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Metcalf. This week, I am joined by a familiar voice, the bad boy of Twitter, the magistrate of memes, the grand duke of gifts, the artist formerly known as Backcourt Violation, and more importantly, my new co-host. Tyler, congratulations on the promotion. Well-earned. How's it going? Thank you very much. I feel good about the co-host. Um, rest in peace to Backcourt Violation, as some might know when you're listening to this. I was suspended today. Shout out Twitter. But... Uh, you know, we're not going to dread on that. We're moving forward. Bigger, better things. But I am very pumped about the promotion to co-host. So big, big stuff going ahead for No Ceilings Podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I feel like we've had we've had good banter and uh, s- some really good analysis on here. So just just moving forward, we'll still be bringing in other guests, um, but it'll mostly be me and you every week or every episode with other voices. It should be a good time. But to kind of kick off this new partnership and for this week's episode i wanted to talk about uh a little bit of mix a little bit of philosophy with a little bit of prospect breakdown um and i think the best place to start with that is the pre-draft concept and this is a concept that i feel like has really gained a lot of popularity in the draft twitter space um and it's essentially finding value in a prospect a year early um, where if they declared this year, maybe they're at the they get they end up getting drafted in the end of the first round or early second round. But if they get, went back to school and they could really boost their stock and potentially be a top ten pick the next year. So it's a lot of gambling. It's a lot of really believing in your evaluations and your development ability, and it's kind of the college version of draft and stash. So you know historically teams have always have ta- been taking international guys uh, in the second round who they see potential in and then stashing them overseas for development. And this is kind of the, the, the same philosophy, but with college players where right. they see a lot of potential with freshmen and they essentially guarantee them a promise of, Hey, if you stay in this draft, we will take you here and we will commit to developing you. And I think the, the improvements in the G league and the investment in the G league and the two way contracts are starting to make this a little more feasible for NBA teams. And some recent examples um, who did go pro and, you know, really kind of personified this idea are Josh Primo, who went much Mm -hmm. earlier than this range usually goes JT Thor, Leandro Bomaro, and then some who have gone back and really seen their stock rise are guys like Jaden Ivey or Kyra Lewis or Benedict Matherin. So, when I proposed this idea to you, you were not overly enthused about it, but you, you, you liked the idea of finding that early value and finding these guys before they really break onto the scene. But for, for someone who kind of worked in that world for a while, how legitimate do you think this idea is with college players? I think, you know, the, the funny thing I have to clear up is when you first came to me with the idea Pre-draft is like such a confusing term because I think a lot of people have different opinions about it. But when you explained it further, I was like, oh, okay, I know what you're saying. Because my personal philosophy is I always consider the pre-draft process like 
right after the season ends where it's those pre-draft workouts, like everything mm-hmm. heading up into the draft where guys, you know, get in front of teams, there's going to be player movement. But what you're saying is definitely like I've seen, I've had conversations with Nathan with, at draft deeper. We, we've talked like, Oh, people see it that way. So it's definitely um, something that's becoming more important and everyone's going to have this different terminology that they're talking about. But, you know, Primo was a big, big example of this and it's going to show like when guys get to like say the NBA draft combine and some of them are just testing waters to see like how they're going to manage against some of these prospects where they're playing five on five like how they perform all of a sudden some guys you know stick and start buzzing in a in a big way and then they might be going wait I might not go back to school I might throw my hat into the ring this year Primo was exactly that guy. I mean, he started really buzzing when it came to the pre-draft process. And um, then all of a sudden, you know, we're expecting he was going to be this guy that went back to Alabama, had a really strong sophomore year and would skyrocket up to be a potential lottery pick. I mean, that's, I don't know about you, Ty, but I think that's what all of us thought. Like I thought it personally, Mm -hmm. I had him as a late first guy that, was almost like a lottery ticket. Like, you know, Willy Wonka handing out golden tickets. You're taking Primo and saying, okay, we're just going to almost redshirt him in development for a year. And then all of a sudden, some team like the Spurs picks him so early because they're like, we're not expecting him to do stuff this year. We're expecting that this is something that's going to pay off in a big way. Um, We're trying to basically be a, a year ahead of the curve. So I think it's definitely growing in popularity because of the G league system, you know, guys can go to the NBA right away and keep working on their game, especially if they're young. There's some interesting prospects in this class that I think are going to be on that fence where we might think they're a late second rounder or an early second rounder, excuse me. And maybe a a strong process of going to the combine and pressing gets them to heat up and gets them to be like what you're saying, almost like a, a college drafting stash, not an international one. Maybe you're developing them then in like your developmental system in the G League. Yep. And I, I, I feel like the idea of, or, or one of the flaws with this idea that kind of gets forgotten about on draft Twitter is that the pro development system isn't always necessarily better for than their college situation where right. they would, they won't be given that same leash to really explore different things. And we'll, we'll get into that a little deeper with uh, some more specific examples in a bit. But when you look at, you know, a guy like Jaden Ivy, where he went back to Purdue and he kind of came on as the guy last year, but then he was really given the leash to really do whatever he wanted. Um, creation wise and shooting wise and you know he really earned that trust from his team and the coaches that's not always the case and if he went to went straight to the nba last year his his nba organization may not have been that comfortable being like yeah just go out try this stuff show what you can do on the ball show your creation flashes out of different areas and i i feel like the the nba's willingness to live through the the rough patches often gets forgotten besides stuff like that. Um, do you see any other drawbacks or hesitations on how legitimate or realistic this whole pre-draft concept is? You know, I, I think it's just, unfortunately you have to be really confident as a 
a prospect, as a player that you're going to end up in a situation that has patience. Like you can't, they're going to be confident, but it's different being a 18, 19 year old raw player that has to work on your game that all of a sudden you're going to be stuck with some growing pains in the G league and you got to be confident and understand that this is a long process. You know, um, I know we talked about Primo earlier. Primo's had a great, some great games in the G league. He he's even shown mm-hmm. like some flashes with the Spurs. Like they're, they're in a good situation where they're developing him and the Spurs have had, you know, history with that, but you got to be careful because like you're saying, the wrong guy says, okay, I'm going to the NBA. Like I had a strong combine. Um, then they might be going to grow their game specifically. Like they might not get all this freedom to really work on their game wholeheartedly, like in college, like Jaden Ivey's a perfect example. Um, I know we talked about some guys before we hopped on this that we wanted to talk about that I think are fantastic examples of that argument for this year because there's going to be some guys in this class that started off slow, um, have started to show some flashes as of late that maybe could really start to climb again with a strong process heading up into the draft. So I just think this is definitely an interesting conversation and um, it's going to be fascinating. I I really do believe that there's a lot of players that could be the Josh Primo of this year's class where we might have them low on our board, but they might go earlier because scouts and personnel are convinced that they're going to get the best ability out of them. Yeah. And, you talked about kind of playing your way in and out of this potential pre-draft um, scenario. And a, a couple guys who I think have, who initially entering the season had one and done expectations and then got off to really slow starts. But I think they've kind of played their way out of that. And I would be really surprised if they do end up coming back are Max Christie, Caleb Houston, Peyton Watson, and Jeremy Suhan. But a couple guys that I really wanted to dive in on. And I I, I really could see going either way. So I, I want to break down their games and kind of get and kind of pick your brain on where you see them going are Bryce McGowan's Alex Fudge, Tyrese Hunter, Musa Diabate, John Butler, and Nolan Hickman. And I, I think the best place to start is with Bryce McGowan's who, I, who probably is the most likely to declare, but what he's shown at Nebraska, I think has been a lot, a lot bumpier than what his numbers may suggest because 16.7 points, 1.5 assists, 5.4 rebounds on 40% from the floor, 28% from three on 4.7 attempts and 83% from the free throw line on six attempts. McGowan's is really tough for me because when it looks good, it looks really fucking good. But then a lot of the times it's rough. So just what are your overarching kind of initial views, opinions, analysis of McGowan's? Where, Where are you at with him? I feel like he's a late first rounder to me right now that I wouldn't be surprised if one team is just convinced of taking him in the late teens. I'm like you when, when, when they're good flashes, they're really fun. Um, Yeah. You really see it. You you get excited about the scoring potential, the versatility on the offensive side of the ball. I, it's like, I don't mean to be a buzzkill, but I almost watch him. I'm like, just go back one more year. Like just one more year add some weight, like 
let it be your team, like just run crazy. I mean, I know he's already doing a lot of heavy, heavy lifting there now, but I just feel like a guy like McGowan's could be a guy that if he puts in an off season of just working his, his butt off, you could really skyrocket up the board. Like he could all of a sudden become that lottery pick, that early lottery pick. We don't know. I mean, the tools are legit. It just seems like it needs some more time to be more consistent. And he's a little thin framed. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, what are you thinking, Ty? Because I don't feel like we've talked about McGowan's a ton. I know a lot of guys that know ceilings are fans of him and are really high. He's just one of those guys that I was low on. Um, when I saw him rolling, I was like, okay, I get the intrigue, but I'm still, I'm still on that fence where maybe he's someone to test the waters and is like, okay, I need more time. I mean, it's definitely an interesting prospect. So where are you at? I, I think it was Nathan uh, who brought him up first kind of, or who really wrote about him first um, over on no ceilings in one of his first uh, Monday morning pieces. And he's, he was pushing them really hard in the beginning. And I, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like, let's dive in. Let's see what he is. And I'm like, this is just a lot of inefficient chucking from him. And I really, I, I saw the intrigue with the shooting. The results just weren't there. And I was like, the more I watch, it's like, God, this guy just settles for a lot of crap shots. And he is just, he, he thinks he's Kobe Bryant out there and he's not yet. Like he, he shouldn't be taking these 20 foot contested step backs and he's not strong enough yet to consistently have his mechanic or to have his mechanics consistent throughout those types of shots. The last 10 to 12 games though, he's really started attacking the rim more. And I think his offensive game and his scoring game have has completely changed. Um, I, I, I think the numbers are still pretty similar across the board because as games progress, he does start to revert into that hero ball mentality of taking a lot of really bad contested pull-ups. But when he puts his or sets his mind on attacking the rim, I think his at-rim finishing is really solid. I, he's got some impressive vertical pop. And then once he once the defense has to respect his drives, then that's what opens up the rest of his shooting game because they're now they're going under screens to try and cut off those drives and he's creating an extra two feet of space on his jumper. If that is who he is, if he can rein that in, if he can, you know, become more disciplined and kind of take an ego check on that end of the floor, that's where I think his scoring could really take a leap. Um, and my thing is, I'm not sure that Nebraska is the best spot for him to really be humbled in that way. But if he goes to an NBA system and goes up against some grown men on a daily basis who put him in his place and he starts lifting weights more and understands the value of certain shots, then I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of these guys who's picked outside the lottery who could really become an offensive star. Yeah, I think that's exactly spot on. And just when you're like, just because you're a potential multi-level scorer, it always bugs me when guys think they need to settle for that outside shot. Like just because yes. you can shoot, if you have the ability to be a threat around the rim, like you should live off of that and let the rest of your game compliment you. Like you should be able to set up your outside shot and then attack off that all night because people are afraid of your facing the floor. So I think, you know, when you looked at his recent splits, if you go back and look at it, I'm like, I was very impressed. Like, okay, yeah. the numbers, like you said, are pretty similar, but now they're way more efficient. So you're seeing 
the shot selection is coming around a bit, but that's definitely the evaluation process where you have to say like, would we want this guy at 19 because next year he might go back, back and next year declare. And then all of a sudden go 10th. Like if he had a good year, like that's where I think teams would try to entice and be like, look, if you're on the board at 17, we're going to give you the, the faithful draft promise. That is always right. the funniest thing around the draft community to monitor. But um, I do think that's also where like, you get feedback from NBA teams like, okay, I might go a little higher. Like maybe, you know, those guys are also going to weigh like, what if I go back and get hurt? Um, you know, <laughs> am I going to just like plummet down boards? Like there's a lot of evaluating, like what scenario could happen for a guy. So McGowan's is definitely one of those guys that when he lets the rest of the game sort of come to him, I think he stands out more um, when he tries to kind of force the shots, force looks, that's where he could get a little ugly, but I've been really impressed with how he's been playing lately. I'll just be interested mm-hmm. to see if he could keep that up because if he could keep that up, I think NBA teams are going to be like, okay, there's the tools are there. Like we should just try to put this guy in our system and develop him. And like you said, maybe he comes some really special offensive force down the road. And besides the shot selection, which I'm encouraged by recently hated for most of the mm-hmm. season. Um, I would be shocked if he's any type of a playmaker. Um, he's shown a couple flashes here and there of, you know, finding guys on kickouts and stuff. But, you know, when you're passing to Alonzo Verge, you know you're never getting the ball back. So I maybe that's just some of his hesitancy. But I, I, I don't see any of those natural playmaking instincts. So I would I kind of expect him to be more just an off off guard um, for pretty much his whole career. But what what, what what perplexes me more is his defense. And I, I really want to know where, where you're at with that, because I, I think he has a frame and athleticism to be a good defender, but I, it doesn't feel like he has any of the discipline or lacks the instincts or kind of effort on that end, at least on a consistent basis. So, so de- defensively with McGowan's where, where are you at? Yeah, I'm at the same, same boat. And I think that is, it's easy for a young teenager to kind of say like, okay, I can hang offensively with anyone, but I think it it really shows some maturity when you're like, I need to go back. I need to get after it defensively. I need to become a better defender. I need to get stronger. Like I, I need to show some more versatility on both sides of the ball. And that's an argument that's probably going to be had with him, with himself. NBA teams are going to be like, does he need more time to become a more two-way player? Because mm-hmm. we know when McGowan's is rolling, he's an offensive weapon. But NBA teams are going to want to say, like, okay, can he grow into something else? And when you watch him, like, definitely the offensive pops. Like, absolutely. But I do think the thin frame, even though he looks like he has the potential to be something special defensively, like, he, he looks like he could be a really solid piece for a team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's just a lot – a lot that he needs to keep working on and it'll come with time, but he might need some more seasoning. And this is like, you're saying Metcalf, we're, we're talking about a guy that we're expecting to declare, but yeah, there's always one surprise that happens that someone's like, Hey, I, I want another year. And maybe this is the Jaden Ivy story. Like you're saying where McGowan's goes back and skyrockets next year. We never know. So final verdict, based on what McGowan's has shown, how he's kind of grown throughout the year and, you know, his situation, not, not what will he do? What do you think he should do? Do you think it would be in his best interest, 
you know, that it always sounds weird for outsiders to say yes. what these guys' best interests are, but yes, from, from from a prospect development going pro, reaching their potential type of uh, standpoint, do you think he should go back to Nebraska or or stay in and go go pro? And um, don't worry, the draft's only five months from now. So, so he'll be nineteen on when he's drafted. Oh man, yeah. I, you know, after all of this talking, I would probably say with his recent play, he should go because I still think there's a shot he could be like a surprise 18th pick. And if you're still raw with developing tools and you can go to a place like that where that's probably going to be a good system for him to fall, like, um, yeah, I would say go for it. I mean, if you're cementing yourself as a potential, you know, top 20 pick, um, is it worth going back for another year? I don't know. I don't know, Metcalf. What are you thinking? You, are you I, saying, old man, he should go back? No, no. I, I'm pretty firmly in the boat that he should go pro. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've I've been pretty public about my gripes with this game, but he's showing trend. He's trending in the right direction, and I I think his combination of vertical pop slashing ability, shooting indicators, I think are all really positive, and will just really be able to correctly be harnessed by an NBA development program over what Nebraska has shown in terms of developing prospects, um, which is not much. Um, so I, I think for his long-term future, I, need, I I think he'll spend a lot of time in the G league and on the bench early in his career. I don't think he's going to play uh, much in his first season, but I think that'll do really good things for him in the long run and really honing that role and honing that those scoring tools because if, if he can figure out how to really control and pick his spots, I, I think he could be pretty deadly at the next level. Yeah. And there's a, another argument of what if he goes back and he doesn't have the complimentary pieces and yeah, he's trying to carry the entire load offensively. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm not just, you know, sorry, I'm not in on my Nebraska recruiting guys. Like, but I'm just saying he could all of a sudden be struggling because he's being asked to do too much. I mean, it's a different story if he's going to go back and have two other five-star recruits that are going to come in and make his life way easier. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's also part of the process that prospects have to evaluate. That that might be why guys are going to declare early than we might expect. And I, I think that's a big reason why like a guy like Peyton Watson is going to go pro because I don't see that. I don't see him getting an expanded that much more of an expanded role at UCLA next year, based on who they have coming in behind him. But a guy who's almost the exact inverse of a player is Bryce McGowan's is Alex Fudge, mm-hmm. who for most of the year um, would have been the second player ever to have a steal and block rate over five percent uh joining matisse thibel's senior season i believe uh which is just an absurd number and mark uh those numbers have started to tail off as his role and impact has started to lessen um these last couple weeks i was super high on fudge earlier in the season or for the first two-thirds of the season that we've seen and mainly is because of his defensive ability and that length the footwork and his instincts um but the offensive side has been a little rougher. Where, where are you at with Fudge? Where were you earlier compared to now? Has there been a big change, or what, what, what do you like from him? Yeah, I got I got drunk on Fudge pretty fast. <laughs> um, like when I first started watching his film, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in love. 
um, in love with the fudge. But I'm I'm definitely cooling off. The problem is when you get excited about a guy, you have to pump your brakes and be like, okay, is he really ready for this year to be a prospect? Or is this someone I'm really pumped about for next year? And I think you quickly – you fall out of love and you realize this is a next year guy. Like you have to kind of humble yourself. And so like I was in love quick. I was like, Oh man, this could be a sleeper that gets up there. And then you start to watch more, you see more of a sample size and you're like, I still love him, but he's going to need another year. And I think I'm there. Like the offense is pretty one dimensional and he's a, he's a energetic, you know, garbage man right now that occasionally can stretch the floor. He's going to need to, Definitely have a solid offseason of work, but ooh, defensively. Um, I I mean, this is what you want. If you're an NBA yeah. team, you're gonna be drooling over Alex Fudge as potentially a just defensive specialist at worst. Like at worst, you're bringing him in to be just like this monster defender that could really take over a game and help your team. So I really like Fudge. I think. If you're asking me right now, I'm saying, yes, he needs to go back into the year. Um, I think he could be one of those guys that goes and tests the waters just to kind of put his game. Because it, it's really smart when guys do that. Everyone thinks, yeah, like, why absolutely. are they doing that? I why think it's I? smart. Yeah, why wouldn't you? You, like, go see how you compare and what you need to work on compared to guys yeah. that are about to get drafted. So I think he'll do that. Um He'll probably have like 12 and eight the first game and we'll all start freaking out like if he scrimmages. But no, I I definitely think he's probably a next year guy. Um, was there, do you think he's as raw offensively as, like is there a really long road still for him offensively or do you think he just kind of needs to put together like a specialty offensive? Because like the three-point shot, I think he'll work on. Um, mm-hmm. His handles, I feel like, are a little wild, but he he just seems like this incredible athlete with fantastic defensive instincts. So I'm trying to figure out like what should he be trying to zone in on offensively besides the outside shot, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and and so so the defense is obviously the selling point. And if you, I feel like if you showed NBA evaluators 30 seconds of it, they'd be like, I'm in, I love it. Yeah, He's perfect. Right. Um, it, it's the offense that's a massive issue. And so j- just to run through some of his, you know, points per possessions numbers, uh, he's in the seventh percentile spotting up. Um, yeah, not good. 37th Don't percentile shooting off the catch. Uh, he's taken 10 total jumpers this season per synergy. Um, and he has not taken a single jump shot off the dribble. So when you ask about what does he need to work on? Um, th- obviously obviously the shooting um yes. guys like that if, if he just develops a lethal corner three he's a top 20 pick given his yeah. defense but he needs to prove that he can do anything with the ball because it's it's just non-existent at this point really um he, he i do really like his cutting uh he's in the 77th percentile um on cuts and when when i i think a lot of that comes when he you know, sl- slips in behind Atari Eason drive or whatever when he when Eason collapses the defense and Eason finds him on a dump off. Um, but that's where he can use his length and athleticism to kind of finish at the rim. But a lot of his at rim finishes 
he just doesn't have any touch and he's missing. I, I forget what game it was, but it was a couple of weeks ago. It was like back-to-back games where he had a game where he missed like five straight layups. And it's just like, come on, dude, like you, you should be at 12 points at halftime be, just off these layups. So I, I desperately want him to go pro because I think just getting in that NBA development system you know theoretically it's like okay this is awesome but then once he gets there and if they see it's like oh shit like you can't shoot you can't dribble you can't do any of this stuff like why just go go off to our g league affiliate that's four states away and go 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 develop on your own time that's when i'm like oh he's not gonna have the same leash that he would hopefully at lsu next year so I, I'm with you. I think going back to school is the right call for him because I don't think the defense gets worse by any means. I, I find that impossible to believe given his instincts and motor and just length and all of that stuff. Um, but I would expect him to play a more prominent role as a sophomore next year, hopefully add some muscle unlike Eric Gaines has, who I also love, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Um, and just show that he can shoot or dribble or just make a layup consistently because oh God, it, it's so frustrating seeing someone of that defensive caliber struggle so much offensively. It, it's, it's almost weird, but it, so he, he has like an explosive first step. Like I've seen him take, yeah. the, like take a couple drives and I'm like, okay, like that is there, but he definitely like, he, he needs to almost just only do dribbling and threes like the whole off season. He needs to just, somehow create some handles and confidence but it's weird because like even two years wouldn't be like I I wouldn't be just scared of that even if it was just like he kept showing strides because I'm like you the defense is gonna be there like he has Mm -hmm. rare instincts awareness he's shown some awareness offensively about like you're saying with cutting like he he understands how to find lapses in the defense it's just he's got to get that offense around because the, if he gets the offense around, it's a top 20 pick. Like he has got scary fun tools defensively. I mean, he could just be a complete menace with his defensive ability. So I'm right there with you. Um, he's definitely going to be like, if he goes back, I'm going to be like, man, I'm so pumped to watch Alex Fudge after a full off season. Like that is definitely going to be one of the top guys I'm paying attention to next year. For sure. And I, I, I'm not a biomechanical expert, but he's really one of these guys where it feels like once he adds more core strength, once he adds a little improved upper body strength, that's where the at-rim finishing really improves because I mean, he's in the 27th percentile in shots around the basket in non-post-up situations. So, you know, those are those layups, those floaters, those tip-ins where a simple box out or nudge he is moving him a few feet and really throwing him off where, you know, he comes back, he adds that muscle. Um, then not only does he become a better at rim finisher and hopefully that tightens up his shooting mechanics a little bit too, but then that's when he becomes even more versatile as a defender where now he's bodying up guys a little more in the post and fighting for rebounds a little, a little more. So we're we're both on the same page that I think going back to LSU would be the best for him. Hopefully he would get a bigger leash. How realistic do you think that that is that he does get that bigger leash that he could get a more prominent role? I think it for sure is going to be realistic because, you know, Tari Eason's looking like a guy that will leave. Um, I think 
they're going to probably need Fudge to take that next step because he's going to be a tone setter defensively. I mean, when you watch him, he's a game wrecker. I mean, I've seen a couple of games when I watched him where, you know, he usually comes off the bench, but mm-hmm. um, LSU's off to a rough start. Fudge comes in, makes a couple of plays. They hit the ground running. And, and I've seen like three games where it just happens all the time. I'm like first quarter, they start out slow. Fudge comes in, makes a big block, uh, makes a huge, you know, rotation and they get a transition three and it's like everything just starts clicking. So I think that's the type of player he is where he's like a pogo stick right now with just crazy energy. He just flies all over the place. If he can just control that to become more of an impact offensively, I think that's where you're really going to find a special player. And LSU's got to be thinking that, you know, if they can harness this Pandora's box on offense and unleash it, he's going to be a really fun asset to have. Absolutely. And another freshman who has proven already just pretty much right out of the gates to be one of these really special defenders is Tyrese Hunter, who mm-hmm. is on an Iowa State team who I, I feel like has really overexceeded expectations for the majority of the year. And I, I think Hunter's point of attack defense is a big reason why. And w- when I watch him, it's really hard not to just think back to just a year ago in what we saw of Davion Mitchell, just the way they moved their feet, his strength, his on-ball tenacity it's just thinking about having to play against him sounds like a nightmare and the worst day I could possibly imagine <laughs> how at, but so the, the issue or the concern, I guess, is that Hunter's listed at six feet, 180 pounds. So despite that footwork, his instincts, all that defensive stuff that, you know, we get really excited about how legitimate is that at that size in the NBA? Yeah. I, I mean, He's weird because you watch someone like Kennedy Chandler and you watch Tyrese Hunter and you're like, okay, is Tyrese six foot? Like, just because someone says they're six foot or a team is their official websites listing them at six foot, it's like, okay, well, wingspan, like, what's what's going to make the difference? Tyrese is definitely one of these guys that, you know, caught my attention early in the year. Shout out to Simon Rath, who was kind mm-hmm. of been promoting him. And um, it looks like a pest. I think there's a lot of tools with Tyrese Hunter to get really excited about. Um, You'd like to see, like, if he's going to be six foot, he needs to have an off season in the weight room. He needs to put on some stuff because he definitely is a disruptor. Um, He definitely has some tools that are like freakish where he can create off the bounce. And then, you know, he comes back. You want to see those percentages take a big bump. I I know he was starting out the year strong. I think he's a much better I would say shooter maybe than his percentages are hinting right now. So it's definitely a situation you're going to want to monitor. Um, He's going to be a breakout candidate, I think next year, but maybe this is a guy that tests the waters. I don't know. I mean, this is the type of guy that kind of, especially with this point guard class, like we've been vocal about the, you know, I don't even know how to word it the right way, but like, just there's no, slam dunk like rankings of the point guards i feel like everyone's gonna have their wide range so who knows maybe someone like tyrese hunter goes to the combine and lights it on fire and all of a sudden becomes this josh primo type of guy where they develop him for a year 
Um, I still think he's going to go back for another year because I think there's a lot of stuff he needs to work on. But, I mean, I think he's a pest defensively. He really gets Mm -hmm. after it. So, where where are you at, Ty? I mean, we haven't talked about Tyrese Hunter. So, I'm I'm interested to hear your comments. Yeah, so I, he he was kind of the one guy that I I, re, I needed to catch up, play some catch up on today uh, t- t- to talk about, obviously here. Um, and in you know the the five games I got to today, he was really impressive scoring, um, especially in transition and at the rim, and the way he absorbed contact and kind of bounced off guys at the rim, I thought was like, oh shit, like that's not what I expected from this tiny point guard and as okay. So he's got some strength to him, but then you go look at the numbers and in shots around the basket that aren't post-ups, he's in the 22nd percentile and then the 16th percentile on all jump shots. So it's like, okay, well, I, there are a lot of games here that I've clearly missed because he wasn't showing that in, you know, what I saw. So I, I think consistency is going to be a big issue with him. And the, I, I, right before we started recording, I just got done with the Iowa state Kansas game. And there was one series where Iowa state made like pass passes around the wing, find Hunter on the weak side, wide open. He pump fakes when the guy's 15 feet away and the guy kind of barely closes out. He shot, he proceeds to take three separate shot fakes and then passes it away when he had a multitude of open shots stuff like that concerns me because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, this guy doesn't have any confidence in a shot. And I don't, I feel like the mechanics aren't that bad. I don't know. So like the, like you said, the, the percentages feel off from what I'm seeing, but when the guy is on the screen telling me, Hey, I don't think I'm going to make this stuff like that really worries me. And that his size, I don't think he's an awesome playmaker, I think he makes some nice passes out of the drive and, you know, some like predetermined reads, but that advanced secondary read or going through his progression, I don't think he can do that yet. And if he's not doing that at that size, then he's really going to have to shoot. So it doesn't seem like a mechanical thing with him. Um, Again, not a shot doctor. I feel like I'm saying that every episode, but the form generally looks good. It's the confidence, which, sounds a little too nuanced for you know draft talk but that that's kind of where i'm at with him no i think the confidence is everything because you saw in the beginning of the year i think it was against uh who was it maybe it was against xavier it was against someone like that um and he hit like a step back three and i was like move my goodness that was awesome like you have my attention and now you're seeing the numbers kind of plummet and that play you just told me tells me everything about, yeah, you need to go back another year. Cause if you're wide open and you're pump faking with no one around you multiple times, like you're probably, it's all in your head right now. You need to have some time to just be working on the shot. Cause I mean, if, if you're undersized, you need to be confident. You need to be showcasing that you can stretch the floor because already everyone's going to be against you if you're an undersized point guard that's the way the game's translated like the modern nba point guards you know six three and up i mean it seems minimum so um yeah i'm like you that's the signs where you're like okay he's going to need a year of i'm in the gym i'm shooting constantly i'm putting weight on i'm i'm ready to go like the jade and ivy years where maybe 
maybe Tyrese Hunter has a strong finish to this season where he can build off that in the off season. Um, so I'm like, you. Yeah, I, I think, I think definitely if that, if that's happening, you need some more time to work on your craft and he's still young. So, I mean, absolutely go back for another year and run the show and make a statement. Yeah. And I, I think his situation is favorable to doing that too, because I, I don't see again, similar to Nebraska. I, I don't have Iowa State's incoming recruiting class memorized. Um, but I, I would be stunned if they have a five-star point guard coming in that expects to run the show. But what that coach has proven, I think first off is that he's a really good coach and knows how to, how to get the best out of his team and really compete with, you know, the quote unquote blue bloods, but he's also good at bringing in these transfers and finding value in you know, those kind of roles and that veteran leadership and contribution that I think would really help a young point guard continue to develop. So we're both on the same page that we think he should go back. Who knows what he ends up doing five months from now, but if he does go back, what would be, you know, the the one thing that you would tell him to focus on improving? Because I, I think the defense is legit. I don't have really any concerns about that besides the physical limitations, um, which you can't really change. Um, but if he came to you and he's like, Rucker, what, what's the one thing I need to do this offseason to really be that top 20, top 15 pick after my sophomore season? What is it? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is shooting. Um, I, I would probably say, you know, obviously I want to say the three-point shooting, but like playmaking, I think if you're going to be undersized and you're going to have to have a fighting chance, like you're going to have to be able to space the floor efficiently. You have to get to your spots, but you got to be a playmaker. I mean, you got to find your teammates. You got to put them in a position to succeed. Um, you're the floor general, you're running things, you're putting everyone in a spot where they can thrive. So, you know, there's not a lot of undersized guys that are only coming in to just be a bucket getter. I mean, you've got to also have another area of your game. So I would probably say playmaking. I know that's a really boring answer. Everyone's like, no, tell them to start shooting 25 footers at, at will. So, um, what about you, Ty? What would you say? What's, what's the mad scientist, Dr. Metcalf saying? <laughs> when he's going to Tyrese Hunter. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's finding ways to punish the defense once you get into the paint because I, I think he has that really quick first step. And when he, he – so I, I don't see him really having any issues beating guys. It's what he does after that. So like I said earlier, the, the handful of games that I saw, he was really impressive with the at-room finishing. The season-long numbers don't suggest that, though. So really honing in on his at improving his at-rim finishing craft and ability to kind of absorb and finish through contact, um, adapt a little floater, and then a little more consistency, kind of like you hinted at with playmaking out of there. Because I, I think with if once that floater and that at-rim finishing improves, that in, increases the likelihood that defenses will collapse on him. Maybe, maybe a little less so with NBA rim protectors, but you know, if even if they just turn their heads for a split second, that's a new passing window that he can find a shooter out of. So I, I think finding ways to really punish the defense from the paint um, would help him take his game and just evolve and elevate that entire offense. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that's you put that perfectly is like if he can get to places where he understands how to punish the defense and create some offense 
Like I, I'm just because I'm saying playmaking, I'm not saying this guy needs to average eight assists a game. I think you right. just need to get to a point where like you can create your shot efficiently, get to your spots, but you can also read the defenses and and put your teammates in a position to to thrive. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I I, I completely agree. And so th- this kind con- this conversation kind of feels off brand because we're talking about or in the past we've preached about how it takes time for young point guards to really develop. And now we're going to talk about another young point guard who I, I, I'm just going to get to it. Nolan Hickman. Uh, When I was reviewing EYBL table over the summer, he just constantly stood out to me. I'm like, Oh yes, he's going to go to Kentucky. Like he's really going to shine. Like this could be awesome. Never mind, he's going to Gonzaga and he's going to be buried behind four seniors. This sucks. We're not going to see him for a year. Um, I'm just going to come out and ask it. Is he the best guard on Gonzaga? Um, no. He's the one I'm most excited about. Is that good okay. enough? To, can yeah. I say that? Um, Love it. I love Nemhart. I think that's exactly what a potential championship contender needs. I think Hickman's in a – it's annoying where he is right now because I think he has so much talent. I think he's in the perfect spot because he's just sitting there watching what Nemhart's doing. They have so much backcourt talent just oozing with – like I cannot wait for the next Nolan Hickman year. So I was very – like I feel like we were talking about who we were gonna discuss, and I was like, we gotta talk about Hickman. Like <laughs> this is a perfect Hickman talk. Um, I don't know. I just really, really like watching him. I think they're gonna if he just stays and goes out next year. I think they're gonna just release a monster out of a cage, and it's gonna be awesome to watch Gonzaga basketball again. So I don't know. I, what do you? What I didn't know you loved Hickman too. I thought I was the only one on that future island. So tell, what do you love about Hickman? I so I, I I just thought he was the best freshman guard coming into the country this season. Yeah, I, I think he's a, a legit shooter. I think he's a really good passer. I, I think he's pretty ambidextrous with his live dribble passing. Uh, just to kind of run through the numbers here on his shooting, it's seventy third percentile off the dribble, seventy second percentile off the catch 82nd percentile and spot up uh, 86th percentile is the pick and roll ball handler. So I, I, I think the way he, I, I think the shot is legit. Uh, I think his raw three point percentage is like 35 or something. So not overwhelming, but I just love the way he approaches the game. And I, I feel like he doesn't really force anything. I think he's a two way guard. Who's a legitimate, like really good point of attack defender. Um, I think the shooting will really uptick. I, I, I think that 35 doesn't really accurately represent what type of shooter he is. And then the, the passing, I, I think he's really easy to play with. I think he moves the ball well. And then when he looks for a shot, it's usually off the catch after the ball has made its way around the floor and then ends up coming back to him. And, you know, they're, they're countering the third defensive rotation and he's left wide open. So I, I, I think he just knows how to run, run an offense and let the game come to him. It feels like the game's already really slow for him mentally, which I think is so rare for young point guards yes. and such. It, it's a skill that, you know, like you always say, it takes time. Yeah. Um, but 
it's so hard for him to get minutes right now because, like you said, Nemhard is this really seasoned point guard, and you're not going to bench a guy or give him less minutes because they're in title hopes. Um, and Nemhard hasn't done anything to, you know, lose that role. But again, kind of similar to Hunter. Hickman's listed at 6'2", 175. I think his on-ball defensive fundamentals and screen navigation are really impressive. But at that size, how how impactful is that translating? How likely is it that it translates to the next level? Is that a real thing? Or does he really become diluted as an on-ball defender at the next level? I think he's got a good enough size that he'll be fine. Um, the thing about Hickman, it, it, it's funny. It's just, you know, they got Andrew Nimhart, um, Rasir Bolton's another veteran guard in their backcourt that I absolutely love how he plays the mm-hmm. game. Um, I think him, Bolton, and Nemhart kind of complement each other perfectly because Nemhart knows how to play with pace. Uh, Bolton knows when to push. So I think Hickman's in a good spot where he's learning. Like, he's watching both of them like understand how to like play a different way. And Hickman just seems like this guy that he's young point guard who, like you said, it's really rare when guys know how to play with pace as a young, young point guard. And he just always looks poised and kind of under control. So I think he's one of these special guys where you're, he has a full off season of like, okay, I'm six two. I know what I need to work on. Like I, I watch these guys impact the game. I need to bulk up and be a stronger defender. Like, I think he has enough tools right now. You're intrigued that like he could definitely stick at the next level and be this guy that just rockets up boards because I think he has all the tools. He just needs an off season of being like, okay, this is what I need to work on. Let's get everything to come together. And then just potentially run wild with another probably impressive Gonzaga team next year. Um, you know, he's going to have Julian Strasser hopefully with them. That would be really fun. Like, so I'm very high on Hickman from what I saw in person when I got to see Gonzaga play um, mm. in Vegas against UCLA. Like, I, I Hickman was like, oh boy, that that guy's gonna be fun next year, especially with a full off season under his belt. Would it stun you if he stays in the draft? Um, given his, so I l- let me just I'll, I'll filibuster for a second. Okay. So, just the way he approaches the game and given his shooting, his defense, his passing, all that stuff, once he gets in the gym and NBA scouts um, are in the same gym as him and talking with him and seeing him go through his stuff, and would it stun you if, say, a team like Miami at 27 gives him a promise that if he stays, they will they would take him? Would it absolutely stun you if he stayed in? Uh, yes, I, I, I have to answer. I'm under the gun okay. now. Um, yes, just because I think he could really climb. Like, yeah. I, I think he could be a lottery pick pretty convincingly. And this is going against everything, I believe, because now I'm talking about like a big board for next year when it's <laughs> February 7th. Um, I don't know. I just see a lot of special tools there. It's such an annoying conversation because like if a team goes to you and you're young and you're like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. But I also think he's in a situation where like, they're going to be good again. 
Yeah. Um, Gonzaga always is like, he, he's going to have some teammates with him. that are like, Oh, we're going to come back. We're going to have fun. I just think it would make sense for him to go back and just be like, I really could turn myself into a heck of a prospect and get more ready for the NBA with a year of, you know, letting it be my team or, you know, let me run the show. So yeah, I, I would say I'm shocked. What about you, Ty? Tell me I'm wrong. No, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think he should, again, he, he should go back. Um, if I was advisors, team, <laughs> if, if I was a team like Miami at the end of the first, and I could bring a guy like him in to just sit behind and learn from Kyle Lowry for a year or two, I think that would be really tempting. Um, especially given, you know, and historically Pat Riley's heat teams haven't always just played young guys right away. So that they're not, against developing guys. And I, I think he has that kind of mentality that would fit really nicely with that team. But at the same time, if I'm him, I'm like, I'm going to be the, the guy at Gonzaga next year. And I'm going to lead us to a national championship. I'm going to be a top 10 pick. I'm going to get my money and I'm going to, you know, really show my worth and show how fucking good I am. So I, I think he should go back because I think that role he'll get next year is just going to be, so much more substantial than what he's been able to show this year. And I, I, I'm right there with you that I think I would be shocked if his draft stock next year didn't have him at least in the, the top 20. Yes. I I'm right there. I would just be, I mean, I know it's early. A lot can change. Um, other prospects can explode. Shout out Alex fudge, but I, I just <laughs> really do think like Hickman seems like a guy that really could climb quickly if he isn't a preseason top pick up there already i just think if if you're having a good year you're potentially going to win a title this year and you know i don't know how his relationships are with his teammates it looks like they're good but like if he's potentially going to go back to school with a couple of his teammates and they're going to be ready to roll and it's going to be his team like what that's what you dream of like you just potentially almost want a championship maybe they do and now it's going to go back and be his time like to run everything like I I think that would be a very easy choice um but like I said we're not advisors so if he wants to go get paid go get paid and I I think another freshman who kind of falls in that similar realm is Hickman not in terms of play style or anything but in terms of situation and what they could really show by coming back for one more year is Musa Diabate power forward from Michigan who is just this energetic freak and terror on the court um full full confession i'm a huge michigan fan so i i'm i am a little biased here um but i i i adore how this kid approaches the game and the energy that he constantly plays with at both ends of the floor the real concerns are does the shot ever develop and is he skilled enough to kind of really make that jump to the nba right now all the advanced numbers with Michigan are they're significantly better when he's on the floor as a power forward than, you know, when he's playing small ball center or off the floor and just his energy, his um, kind of feel for the game, his rebounding, it's all just really important. And it's just their skills that I see translating really easily. Um, I think he will be a bit of a project in the NBA because like I mentioned, that shot is a concern. He doesn't really ever look for it. 
Um, and he doesn't have a whole lot of ball skill, but that, that energy, the physicality, the strength, the athleticism, just that motor, that's stuff that you can't really teach. And then combined with how he uses it in his movements, I, I think it's the foundation for something that's he's, he's like a ball of clay where you, I think you could mold him into pretty much anything you want right now. Um, and so, like I said, I, I've seen far more Michigan than I probably should. Um, but where are you, where are you at with Diabate? You've been, you've been kind of hammering me. I'm glad that you put <laughs> out the statement about you being a Michigan guy. So you've been hammering me about um, Diabate for a while. When I watched him, very intrigued. I love bigs that play like their hair's on fire. I just love that. Like, if you're going to make mistakes, do it full speed. Because you can – you can't. You can rarely tell someone to work harder on a game, like yeah. pay, play faster. You can always kind of. You'd rather have to tell them to slow it down. Um, I'm intrigued. He definitely seems like a guy that has tools that are really fascinating. He just needs like time. Like shout out my famous quote, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I feel like he's another year guy. Um, well, here we'll throw it right back at you, Ty. I'm I'm getting I'm, my co-host duties. I'm getting a little devil's advocate. <laughs> so, you're an NBA GM. You're mm-hmm. picking 29th, and would you take Diabate, or would you think that's too rich for his blood, like right now? Um. Well, sorry. It obviously always depends how the board falls. Uh. But I have him at tw- I have him at twenty eight right now. So. Oh, see, look how good I am. I'm gonna read your face. <laughs> so yeah, and I I would really really consider it. Um. But I I think it's kind of similar to what we talked about with Fudge earlier, and it's what leash or how much of a leash are you going to be given in your NBA development compared to returning to school for another year? Because I. I if he goes back to Michigan, which I think he likely could and maybe should, um, I, I feel too close to the situation to really make a judgment call on that. But um, if, if he does go back, I think he's going to be like one of the focal points of that team, which could really help him show way more of his offense. And I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they ran more stuff for him offensively, which would probably help his shot profile develop. Um Whereas if he went to the NBA right now, I'm not sure that, you know, who knows what development program takes him and how willing they are to really invest those resources into molding him into something legitimate. I mean, we, we kind of saw a similar thing with like Jared Vanderbilt and his time in Denver. And then once he got to Minnesota, he got that opportunity and was kind of empowered to do different things than he was in Denver. I know injuries played a big issue in Denver, so maybe not an apples to apples comparison, but I, I think my point still gets across where I, it'd be tough because so like personally, if I'm taking him at the end of the first, yes, I'm willing to invest. I'm not sure all teams will be. That was the longest answer ever for everyone listening. For, <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, let's say, okay, here's a good one. Musa goes back. Did I say his name right? Musa? Okay, Moose. Um, Moose goes back for sophomore year. He yep. just turned 20. Does he have the tools to be a lottery pick next year? 
if, yeah, if, if now we're getting weird now i'm really getting this co-host stuff down <laughs> so yes i, I okay. think so um the energy the rebounding that stuff the interior finishing i think only gets better um and then I think the defense takes a big leap too, because of just the general progression and development of understanding the game and it Maturity. mentally slowing down a little yeah. bit. Exactly. I think that improves a lot too. Um, and it's already taken huge, huge strides with his defensive versatility, really, really good footwork. Um, I, I think he would be a nightmare defensively next season. And then if over the summer, it's it's the shot. I, I hate saying it comes down to the shot because it feels so simplistic and boring and lazy. But with a guy like that who does everything else, um, even if the shot didn't come around, I would say yes, potential lottery. But if he's showing a legitimate, you know, 17 foot jumper, even um, just out of like those mid range pick and pop situations or offensive rebound, face up, knock down a jumper, then yeah, I would say probably top 10. Okay. Okay. Wow. Remember it. Everyone write it down. <laughs> Metcalf next year when Michigan's. Not playing him. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I see what you're saying because it really does. He seems like this energetic force um, around the paint when he's rolling. He plays with a lot of passion. It, it, it's definitely stuff that you'd like. Um, and, you know, I think Juwan Howard will be able to help out a potential big man forward pretty well with when it comes to a full offseason of work. So, yeah, I, I see it. I'm just trying to pinpoint how high you are on him. So, I'm definitely going to have to keep watching Musa, especially if, if Michigan could pull off a little bit of a tourney run. It would be nice, and, and that they're due, to say the least. Um, but <laughs> a, another big man who plays in a completely different style than Musa Debate is the, the last guy we're going to wrap up here with, and that's John Butler. Uh, uh-huh. Power forward, center, shooting guard. I don't know what he is uh, from Florida State. He's 7'1", 190 pounds, which is feels really generous um he is thinner than chet uh he's thinner than poku he is rail thin um but he's seven one and picks up the opposing ball handler full court on a nightly basis and it's not just length getting in the way for the sake of it it's he's moving his feet he's staying with the guy he has really good lateral quickness um it is so weird and so extremely on brand for Florida state to have him. Um, and then he's also shooting 41% from three. So not, not, not a bad combination there. I think for him to go out or to declare this season at that weight would be almost irresponsible. <laughs> um, and especially given how, how, how much, you know, or how proven Florida state has been at, developing their players physically and getting them NBA ready bot physically. Um, I, I think that going back makes a ton of sense and it wouldn't surprise me if he's in for a massive sophomore season, but get, given Butler's weirdness, is there anything with his game that you think he could really expand on? Or is there anything that really jumps off the screen that makes you really intrigued by him? Um, it's just kind of what you've said, just the, the versatility potentially with that size. Um, it seems like, you know, Florida state just, there's something in the water down there because every year we have like two of these guys that are just freakish, lengthy, athletic guys. Um, the frame definitely like when you get to that 190 range and you're hitting six, 11, 
like every, I swear, every inch you get taller, it really stands out. So, I mean, if he's seven one one ninety, truly, um, still, you got to put on some weight. I, I know yeah. he's very versatile and everyone's getting really excited about the tools. And I feel like even people have been like, oh, he's, he's a first rounder. And I'm like, okay, let's pump the brakes. Let's give yeah. him some time to really blossom. Um, I don't know. This is just one guy that with the limited sample I watched, uh, I quickly was like, this is probably next year guy. Like this is yeah. probably one you're making note to pay close attention to because it could be a wild ride. So I don't know. I think the flashes are really fun, especially for someone that size. But I think you need to also be like, okay, can, can we let this, this flower blossom with some time? Like it might take a year before we really are getting crazy about the John Butler train. But um, what about you, Ty? Like, are you, are you seeing like this, like you said, you see this potentially being a big sophomore candidate, but like, are you thinking this is like a, holy crap, this is a top 10 guy. Like, are you thinking there's the tools there that he just needs the, the foundation to get a little stronger when it comes to his skill set? I I think it's really going to depend if he can walk that fine line between adding muscle and avoiding injury because yeah. at that at that size and with that frame that's so hard to do and i feel like so frequently people are like ah oh, just off season of lifting throw 20 pounds of muscle it's like no that's not good for the joints at that and the bones at that size that's what leads to a bunch of foot and knee injuries which for seven one players never good especially when they're as mobile and moving on the perimeter like he does so i i I think it's going to be a real tightrope for him to walk. And I, I think that Florida State's kind of strength and development program has the history that I'm encouraged by it. I think it could happen. Um, but it, it's all going to depend on that because I, I just think he's physically, he's so far away from being NBA ready um, skill wise and like what he does on the court. If it, if it all goes right. I, yeah. I know it, it won't surprise me if he's top 15 next season, because when you have a seven, one guy who's shooting over 40% from three and picking up opposing point guards full court, like it, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough to pass that up. Like that's like the, like the ideal three and D role player that you could dream of. Right. Um, but it, you know, it's what else can he do with the ball? Is he just a spot up shooter? Can he put it on the floor a little bit? Um, so far he hasn't shown really much of that at all. So it, I, I think it's going to be so interesting to see what he's like next season. Um, because, you know, theoretically it could be a completely different player, but if he comes back and it's the same, it's like, God, your body's just, it, it's going to get abused in the NBA. Right. I, I'm right there with you. I think you, we get really excited about the lengthy alien like figures that really, just our freak of natures, but they're going to, you got to remember, they're going to be going to another level where they're taking on a beating like physical Joel Embiid, like physically imposing people that are going to just destroy you with their body the whole night. So um, we'll see. I, I mean, I know now all of a sudden someone's going to be listening to this and being like, well, what about Chet Holmgren? And it's like, okay, calm down. Very different. My point. Yeah. Very different. Very, very so, different. Um, I don't know. I, I'm right there with you from what I've seen. It's just one of those like, you make note of that guy and you know, John Butler is firmly on my 2023 20, list where it's like, I have a list of prospects that you just make note of like the Tyrese Hunter, John Butler. Like you just keep adding to that list of guys that you're getting excited to monitor their progress throughout the year. 
Absolutely. Um, well, Rucker, as we end every every podcast, what is the best thing in the basketball world that you saw recently? I came prepared this time because I'm the co-host, <laughs> so I came prepared. So I'm going to hit everyone with the good, the best specific thing. I usually cheat and say something quick. Um, after Chet Holmgren's big recent performance, he got interviewed and gave a shout out to his teammate, Andrew Nimhart, saying that he's one of the best point guards in the nation. Or he said he is the best point guard in the mm. nation and he wouldn't want anyone else. So I thought that was really cool. Like it was one of Holmgren's best games this year and gave some shout out to his, his uh, floor general and Gonzaga's starting to heat up. Give, hit me with it, Ty. What about you? Um, Stay away I'm from good. the Timberwolves. Stay away. <laughs> You mean winners of the, like eight of their last nine? There um, he is. He's but, back. No. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to have to go with – apologies for the pronunciation. I believe it's Gabriel Procida, um, shooting Gabriel guard from – Gabriel Procida. <laughs> Stephen Gillespie. He has the funniest way of saying it ever. If anyone has a podcast <laughs> with him, make him say it. I laugh every time. He, I, I just caught up on a bunch of his film. He's, he's, I think he's going to be an absolute stud. Um, I think he's a really good scorer. I, I get like a lot of Bogdanovich vibes um, from him, which is a high bar um, because Bogdanovich is a really good player. But I, I, I he has some. What? Go, Go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Wow, Jinx, we really are co-hosts. Um, <laughs> have you seen? He gets he gets up. Yeah, like he can explode. Like I, his shots, one of the prettiest shots I think in the draft. I. Maybe I'm just a sucker for the rotation because it spins like you can't even shoot a ball that perfectly if you're trying to. But um, he's like silky smooth and then out of nowhere just explodes and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, I love him. I'm very excited about Gabriel. (laughs) I can't do it without laughing. Um, Okay, so I'm glad you're getting on that train. He's good. I I, I think I may even be the high – had him on the highest on uh, our collective big board, I think. Okay. Um, okay. Well, we'll but... do this before we leave. Um, so everyone listening, we're going to have our big board out this week. Um, updated at no ceilings. Where did you have, where did you have them? Um, I believe like 34. Oh no. I ha- I thought I had him. I had a 45th and I felt like I was going to be higher than everyone. Wow. 34. Yeah. I love that. Uh, uh th- 36. Sorry. Oh, uh, liar. Yeah. See, now we're going to yeah. lose, lose, we're going to lose listeners because <laughs> you're lying to everyone. No, but that's a good range. Um, who is the guy that you're lower on? Now I'm just rambling. So everyone listening is going to get all of our secrets because they can't find <laughs> out. They don't get to see our individual boards, which we have to figure out a way to change that. But exactly. Um, pro- probably Blake Wesley, 41. Um, I just, I'm struggling to get it. And then Wendell Moore, 48. I think that was a lot lower than most. Um, if someone then, can message me or Metcalf and I'm be, I'm not being arrogant, I need to see it with Blake Wesley because I'm not. I there don't get it, and I really want to. Same. Um, he's kind of pissing me off. Um, <laughs> so if someone could just kind of like I just did with Nathan, we talked about the piece I did at No Ceilings with the Matrix of Scouting, and I kept saying like I love when people come to me and try to give me their opinion on prospects because it opens up your yes. mind and makes you think a different way. So please, anyone, if you're like in love with Blake Wesley, uh, message me. I'm at Tyler underscore Rucker on Twitter. Um, just please help me help you. So yeah, <laughs> I just can't see it. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm struggling right there with you, uh, Rucker. Besides your 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 new Twitter handle, well, not really new, but your your new home for for most people. Pl- please plug away. Tell the people where they can support you. I feel sad to say no. I'm at <laughs> No Ceilings NBA. I, I'm running with that freight train. Um, I'll have to pour one out each night for backcourt. Hopefully, I get a miracle and it comes back. But I am focusing all of my attention there, and then. My individual one is is Tyler underscore Rucker. Um, I'll be posting nonstop draft clips there now, which is actually going to be more fun because I just get to flood it with draft and NBA content. And um, I apologize, everyone, because I'm also a Vikings fan, so I let out a lot of frustration there <laughs> when it comes to football. Uh, Metcalf, you, you plug away because you don't get to do this, and now as your co-host, I have to shine some light on you. So you plug away. You do your Friday screener at no, at no Ceilings. Give that <laughs> shindig. It's awesome. If anyone hasn't read it, please check out Tyler's work. Yeah, last Friday um, I did Mark Mark Williams' pick-and-roll defense. I think he may be the most NBA-ready center besides Chet Holmgren, um, and the pick-and-roll defense is a big reason why. Uh, but all my stuff is at No Ceilings. I've uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. Um, and please make sure to subscribe to that No Ceilings Substack at noceilings.substack.com, where all of our work is completely free and gets published Monday through Friday. And a free subscription gets those pieces delivered directly to your inbox. Zero excuse not to subscribe. Um, on top of that, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. And even more importantly, please subscribe to us on YouTube at No Ceilings TV. Uh, we're just trying to do some really cool stuff over there, and the content's only going to keep increasing and improving. Um, so your support there will help us continue to do really cool things in the future. Uh, we have a lot of really exciting plans going forward, um, and su- subscribing to these things will really help us help support us um, across the board and continue to deliver you free content, which we're all a fan of. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.